You're listening to The Edge, the official audio program of Bass Edge. Oh, look here. I got one. I got one. Look here. <laughs> I mean, he whacked that football jig. The blades will dictate a lot of times the speed of the retrieve or the depth of that bait. Oh, good fish. Good fish. Did you see him come off that log? Woo, look at that son gun, man. That's awesome. You know, you've got to just stay active. Fishing is not easy. Oh, man, that's a toad. This is unbelievable. Hello and welcome to The Edge, the official podcast of the Bass Edge television show, which airs weekly on the Versus Network. I am your host, Aaron Martin. Thanks so much uh, for being along today. We have just a fantastic show lined up as David Kirkland from Bainbridge, Georgia, whom was very instrumental uh, in his help down when we taped at Lake Seminole. Uh, We'll be here to go into detail about Carolina rigging. Also, special treat, one of our very own, uh, Jay McNamara, who has a sub-segment on uh, the Bass Edge television show called In the Zone. Jay is a performance sports psychologist who works with many of the nation's top pros um, on their mental game. He is here to talk about his new book that every single angler needs to have. And that book is actually called The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. Uh, you will not be disappointed with this interview. I've worked with Jay uh, for quite some time in the past, so he is going to go into detail as far as all the things that went into composing this book. Um, but before we get into those interviews, I want to throw out some congratulations. Uh, the recent tournament that took place, BASS Elite Tournament out at Clear Lake in California, our very own pro staff member, Mr. Pete Pons, Pete had a fantastic finish out there, finished 11th place, and if you haven't heard about this tournament, you soon will. It will be in every BASS publication that is out there as three individual anglers went on uh, to set all-time weigh-in results over the course of four days. So, uh, great things going on there. Also, in the show, a little bit later, we will be doing our weekly podcast giveaway. These are products that are from sponsors, some fantastic products that are, are given away to one lucky individual each week, and we will tell you how to be able to sign up for that as well as announce this week's winner. But first, we need to take a quick break, and we will be right back with David Kirkland and Carolina Ring. Give any type of boat the edge with MegaWare Keel Guard. It's simple to install, and we can now beach our boat anywhere. If you own a boat, you need one of these. MegaWare Keel Guard protects the keel of your boat from sand abrasion, from underwater obstructions, even concrete boat ramps. Kit started under $140, and best yet, it's guaranteed to keep on protecting for life. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Thanks, MegaWare Keel Guard. Welcome back to The Edge with your host, Aaron Martin. All right, we're back on The Edge and uh, anxious to get into the interview with David Kirkland when I had the opportunity to visit with him shortly after we had taped down on Lake Seminole. David is known for his prowess in being able to throw a Carolina rig, and I know that uh, what he has to say will benefit us all. So let's get right to the interview with David Kirkland. David, thanks so much for being here. Glad to be here, You know, David, I know you call really uh, Bainbridge, Georgia, your home, uh, which is just right on the outskirts of of the Seminole River, or Seminole Lake, excuse me, and you have access to a lot of other fisheries, you know, besides just Seminole. Um, 
but before we get into some of the techniques and things that you like to do, how in the world did you get involved in the sport of fishing? I had a very influential father that was, he grew up commercial fishing in Florida. He uh, got me into fishing, just went full blast. Uh, I remember him telling me that I would sit on the bank of a pond a lot of times and fish, no matter if they were biting or not, and he'd have to pull me off that pond. So fishing's just been a passion of mine since I was a small small boy. Yeah, and you currently compete, correct? I do. I do. But how do you find time to be able to compete? And you know, that's a question that I often get asked, even even from just, you know, I'm not saying that you have to run out here and be an elite level angler, but you still compete on a on a fairly large scale in in the within the region, but you also work forty hours a week. I do. I, I Right now, I'm a school teacher at West Bainbridge Middle School here in Bainbridge. I, I find time. A lot of times when the time changes, I have a lot of time after school. But uh, during this time of the year, I, I have a very, very understanding wife that allows me to go out. And uh, some two great kids that, that understand my passion for fishing. And, and one of them, that she spends as much time on the water as I do. So... I have very, very understanding family. Well, and that, and that support system, you know, you often you hear of when when talking about support in the fishing, so many people relate that to sponsors or something like that. You know, really it comes down, you have to have a support system at home um, to be able to make it work. That's true. If you, if you don't have a stable home life and, you know, support at home, it makes it very difficult to go out and enjoy yourself and, and be successful. And, you know, currently I'm, I'm fishing two different tournament trails, uh, and also I fished the uh, Bassmasters Open Series a couple times, and I've also fished uh, the several trails out of Lake Seminole. Uh-huh. Well, and the the thing about even competing locally, I know from my past experiences, you know, when you're focusing in just a particular region, normally you're drawing out some of the lake's best you know, on those lakes because that's all that they fish, and, and you better bring your game to the lake when it whenever it's tournament time. You do. There's some excellent fishermen around this area. I, I couldn't tell you how many really know the, this lake by the back of their hands, and, and you have to go out there and be on your A game. I mean, you really have to work hard to go up against some of these guys. They are really knowledgeable about the lake and how the fish move back and forth and, and what time frames and, and what areas. It's all about when and where. So being from an area that's fairly what I would consider south, I guess it's all relative. You know, if you're down in the Florida Keys, we're not going to be south. But, um, you know, being in the south, what technique do you like to use or go to the most and do you feel most confident with? Well, that's something that I, I try to get out of is picking one technique. But if I had to pick one that I really enjoy and really use a lot during the season is the Carolina rig. Uh, it's it's adaptable just to just about anything you want to do. When it's cold, you can move it slow along the grass edges, around the ledges, around channels, uh, off the sandbars. And then when it gets a little warmer, you can move out to deeper water and concentrate on your trash piles or, or brush piles, and you can concentrate on those ledges again. Well, let's start with, you know, kind of break it down to the basics. With terminal tackle, you know, rods, reels, line, um, give us a rundown on, on what you like to, to use you know, in that area. I like to use a, a 6 to 1 ratio reel. I, you know, I like to use a 7 foot rod, uh, preferably medium heavy. Uh, I usually go with anywhere from 15 to 17 pound test line. 
and I capped that off with either a at eight or a ten pound leader okay. on that Carolina. So on your line, on your main line, not on the leader. Do you normally do you prefer like a fluorocarbon mono or braid? Is there any particular thing that you like to use in that respect? I'll use a fluorocarbon or a mono, either one of those. Uh, and I, I really don't have a, a preference of which one, but. Uh, I, I really like using the the mono on the leader. Okay. Uh, I, I mainly use a mono on the leader, but the other, the main line on the reel, uh, mono or four, either one. Okay. So then, um, I'm assuming you're using a swivel. Is that That's correct. correct? What about as far as the weight? Different conditions. Uh, when you when you have a lot of wind, you really got to look at your weather, look at what you're fishing in. Uh, you know, there's areas in the south here that you'll you'll find that lakes have very little vegetation. Or you'll find lakes that have uh, more vegetation than, than not. Uh, when I'm fishing a lot of vegetation, I'll go with a half ounce sinker. Okay. And what that does is it allows that sinker to move freely through that grass and don't get doesn't get bogged up in the grass as much. And it allows that leader to float up above that grass. And those fish, uh, especially here on Lake Seminole, they they they'll bog down in that grass. And when you pull that through there, it kind of disturbs them, and they'll they'll see that worm or whatever bait you're using floating up behind it and they'll they'll attack it. And then normally if it's if it's more windy or or uh, then you'll go to a heavier Exactly. I'll go I, I've found something at a, a weight over the last couple of years of three quarter ounce. And it kind of serves both purposes where you're not having to change weights so much. Uh, you know, some of these south region lakes, some of them don't have vegetation. Uh, and what you can do is you concentrate on the trash piles, and when you throw that Carolina rig up there and you start pulling that along that bottom and you hit a trash pile, a lot of times what you want to do is you want to just kind of ease that weight through there and let it click on everything it can click on. And you also put beads on that Carolina rig above, above your swivel and then below your, your weight. And as you're clicking that through that, it's, you're making crawfish sounds, you're making shad sounds, and when they see that lizard, that worm, whatever bait you're using come through there, they, they're aggressive and they attack it. And that's what the beads serve as is, is mainly for, in your purposes for the noise exactly. to, to make that clicking noise. Exactly. What about as far as the style of, of sinker? I mean, you know, there's egg sinkers, there's bullet sinkers, there's the cylindrical, the old mojo style sinkers. I mean, does that have any bearing when you're fishing grass or not? I prefer a, a bullet sinker. Mm -hmm. And what it does, you know, that beveled end on it just allows it to work through trash piles, lets it work through rocks, lets it work through the grass and just plows its way through that. Uh, egg sinkers tend to get bogged down or hung up in these trash piles, but uh, the, the bullet sinker, it just it seems to work better. Things will work through a lot better than an egg sinker. What about below your swivel? I know you said that A, you use mono, but then B, you like to drop down as far as a lighter pound test. Talk a little bit about those two things. By dropping down on that pound test, what you allow that, that bait to do, and, and I also drop down, a lot of people you'll see use a, a four-aught, five-aught hook on their, on their Carolina rigs or on their Texas rigs. But what I do is I like to drop down to at least a two-aught and, and preferably a one-aught hook. Uh, and what I do is it allows that lighter line to allow that bait to float up. Because mono floats. Exactly. So you use a, a floating worm or a floating lizard, and it, and it floats up. And those fish, you know, a lot of people, you know, may have, those fish are not sitting on bottom, hugging the bottom, looking for a bait just to just drag the bottom. They're going to look for it to kick up, you know, like a crawfish or a shad. The shad's not going to be right on the bottom. Uh, they're going to look for a brim easing in and out of grass or easing in and out of brush piles. 
So by having that bait just up off the off the bottom, it allows those fish to pinpoint it. Uh, and that smaller hook, that smaller line, you know, weight will allow it to float up just a tad bit. Well, and and you bring up a very good point because a lot of people, you know, I noticed when I first got into fishing and, and started throwing a Carolina rig, I knew the basics as far as how to assemble one, but you don't realize the importance of having a line that floats and also then using uh, a lighter wire hook that isn't going to reduce the buoyancy of that bait because otherwise you might as well just rig a Texas rig style and drag that on the bottom because that's exactly what's going to happen. Your bait is going to ultimately wind up on the bottom with a heavier hook and you know that, that line that's, that's going to sink. That's great. All right, so beyond now just the actual rigging of the bait and the terminal tackle, what about you know when, let's say new anglers, just coming down to the south, whether it be Seminole or any other lake you know, that has grass, um, you know, average depth has a has a big factor. I'm sure with like you had talked about before with the sinkers, but also how do you approach a body of water with a Carolina rig? What are some of the advantages to that? What I'm going to look for is I'm going to look for it depending on the season. Uh, right now here on Seminole, we're looking at a lot of cold fronts. We just passed. We're getting into a warmer type uh, trend, and what you're going to have are you're going to have those those fish looking for spawning areas. So what you, I'm going to concentrate, I'm going to concentrate on creek channels, uh, river channels, and where they fall off of the flats, where they fall off of so the... you east. want that defined edge. Exactly. Know. Okay. Uh, and I'm also going to look for a defined grass edge. I don't want to have just sporadic grass everywhere. Uh, I want to have either defined clumps of grass or defined grass edges along these channels. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to concentrate on them where that's, that shallows up and there's a sharp drop off there, maybe from four, six, and then it drops off into maybe 10 or 12, 17 foot of water, and even deeper. And what's gonna happen, and those fish are moving there, and they're gonna move up on that edge, and if it cools off, they can move back into deeper water. If they, if they get pressure, they can move off. They've got an escape route. So what I'm gonna do is I'm, I'm gonna concentrate on that. I'm gonna throw my Carolina rig up in that grass. I'm gonna shake it out, work it just as, just as much as I can, getting as much uh, disturbing that grass as I can get, and then as it comes out of that grass, I'm going to slow down. I'm going to slow down to a, a dead crawl. And usually what happens is as soon as you pulled out of that last clump of grass or you pulled into an area that's clear of grass, those fish are going to attack it. And nine times out of ten, you'll get that bite when it clears that grass. So you're not necessarily just fishing parallel with the defined edge. You're actually throwing that rig up into the vegetation or the trash pile and then bringing it out of that trash pile until you get to that edge and then you're going to slow it down and, and try and entice a reaction strike. That's right. I mean, they're, they're looking for anything that's moving around. They're trying to fatten up before they go on the bed. and They're looking for a bait that they can get to easily. Uh, and, and it's really, it's, it's almost like fishing a, a, a rattle trap along these grass edges. You, you're looking for that reaction, and when they see it, they're going to attack it. Okay. What about, you know, help us understand whenever you're fishing, say, that defined edge or that trash pile, how close, in your opinion, do the casts need to be to make sure that you're covering, let's say you're pre-fishing for a tournament. You know, you want to make sure you're covering that well enough to know that, do I, is this an area that I want to come back to on tournament day? How close do you need to be casting as you're fishing that edge? What I'm going to do is I'm going to look at the time of the year again, uh, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to cast into that grass, especially if I see any open pockets. 
and I'm going to work those areas off. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to pull that, that rig all the way back into, uh, all the, way back into the, the deeper water. Okay. Uh, and what you're going to do is you're going to cover that whole spectrum of water. Column. You know, you're going to cover from the 4-foot deep all the way into the 25 and 28-foot deep. You know, here on Seminole, we don't have a lot of deep water. Our, our lake is flat. Deepest water, you might find some spring holes or, or you know, areas that anywhere from 30 to 40 foot deep. But most of our water average is about 12 to 14 foot deep. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to work the whole water column all the way back into that deep water. And I'm going to cast, you know, maybe 15 yards into the, into the grass. Okay. And just depending on how thick that grass. Of course, I'm not going to throw into just a bank of grass. You know, right. that's defeating the purpose. I'm going to look for that grass that has this open pocket so that I can pull that rig into and then pull it on into the deep water. So how far do you move your boat then before you make your next cast to feel that you've covered that area good enough? I'm going to make, uh, once, I'm, once I pull up into a spot, I'm going to make three or four casts in there. And then okay. I'm going to pull down maybe a boat length or two boat lengths and make three or four casts. And, and these fish, they'll tell you right away if they're there. Uh, and you don't have to spend much time. If they're on it, they're, they're going to tell you. Uh, and, and they may be on this sandbar today uh, and then on another one the next day, and they're going to follow the bait. So you have to follow and be diverse you know, and be able to move around. Uh, a lot of times when these fish start moving up, they'll congregate on certain, certain areas, and, and they'll congregate on the points of grass and the points of these sandbars, again, where this sloping slopes down into deeper water. So is the Carolina rig something that you like to use year-round? Uh, I have, and it really depends on the lake. Uh, you know, all your lakes transition. They'll transition from the Carolina rig, the rattle trap and the, the crankbaits, into more of a, a, a jerk bait, into a fluke, you know, a, something there. And then they'll move into your top water, and then you'll move back into the Carolina rig when it starts cooling off again. Uh, Carolina rig can be used in the summer all year round. It's a very diverse bait because it can be used early. It can be used uh, in the middle of summer because you reach those deep water ledges, and then it can be moved and used in the fall again to search for these these fish fattening up for the winter. Okay. What about we haven't spent any time. I'm gonna save the best for last. I'm gonna make you give us your secrets. <laughs> what are the, what are the the types of baits that you like to to throw on the Carolina rig? I I really enjoy and and again it's gonna be what you have confidence in. Man, that's what fishing's all about. Is what you have confidence in. And and I enjoy a finesse worm, uh, trick worm, on my Carolina rig. What, any particular length? Uh, the finesse worm, you know, it's going to be four inches. Uh, the trick worm's going to be, you know, eight, seven, eight inches. Uh, and they just, they're, they make every color known to man in those, those worms. So um, you can really adjust your bait, you know, according to what the fish are biting. And, and I have seen them just go off the wall and bite something that you would never think they'd bite. Uh, and I like throwing a lizard. Because that lizard imitates a salamander, which eats the bass eggs. So, I mean, it's, it's a good bait, too. But really and truly, I, I like that, that finesse worm and that trick worm. It also eases through the grass easy. And it makes a, a, a very good bait because what happens, you get those worms and they've got the ripples in them and they cause disturbance in the water and, and bubbles. So, you know, these fish are looking for anything. Anything you can give yourself an advantage of. Of attracting those fish that may be a look, you know, more natural than something else. That's what you got to use. Colors. I mean, how how do you select? You know, you you walk into any tackle store. I don't care, big or small. 
you know, and, and in, you're talking about plastics, and this goes really for crankbaits or anything, but specifically for picking out your Carolina rig. How does a person break down what color they're supposed to pick from, from all those, you know, 500 colors that's out there? If it's if it's muddy water, uh, you know, not, not muddy where it's, you know, we'll, we'll get some mud down in this lake that, that you could you could stir with a boat paddle. So, I mean, you know, th those are bad conditions. You want to use a dark-colored worm. Uh, and the thing, that the, the one that has really worked well for me on this lake has been green pumpkin. Uh, and you can go around to any one of the tackle shops around town and look for green pumpkin, and then that rack might have one bait on it, one package of baits, you know, and, and the rest of them gone. So it's a very popular color for this area. Well, you know, that's almost like a universal color. I mean, it seems like anywhere I go, green pumpkin, uh, for some reason, uh, you know, it's like that, that green just works. <laughs> it is. It is. Uh, you know, and, and, and everybody modifies their bait just a little bit. So, you know, you can add or take away from something and, and, and change it up. And uh, I'll tell you something, you know, as heavily as this lake is fished, those fish have seen just about everything. So, I mean, you have to you have to find something that's going to be unique and it seems like every year, you know, somebody comes out with a new bait and uh, that bait catches fish for that year and everybody goes out and buys it and next year they're biting something different. Yeah. So uh, you can modify your baits, you know, that green pumpkin, you might, might want to spike the tail or... or spike the tail, you know, uh, Chartreuse, it uses chartreuse color and just, just take change a marker that color. Or dip marker, it dip, whatever your, whatever your preference is. Any other color that you feel is a, is a pretty good, you know, universal color or maybe even specifically for in the Georgia area or, you know, down um, in the south. I'll tell you, I, we, we fished, uh, West Point. We fished Eufaula. I love the, uh, the watermelon red up on Eufaula. Uh, I love the, there's a finesse worm that I love to fish and that's kudzu. Uh -huh. So, um, I mean, they come out with all kinds of different names. So yeah. kudzu, I love kudzu up there. It's just, it's fabulous up on Eufaula. Well, the the neat thing about a Carolina rig to me is that people don't realize that you can actually cover a lot of water, you know, and by being able to make those long casts, and if you pick that out, is that something that you will normally use also for a search bait as oh, well? Usually, you pretty much know where where you're going to fish a Carolina rig. Okay. Uh, and, and how do you know that? Uh, just by just by the area, just by trash piles. You know, if you want to fish around docks, you know, often people put Christmas trees and just pile up brush they cut out of their yard and throw it out there. And, and, and you know that them docks are going to have trash piles around them. Uh, grass beds, points of grass beds. You know that there's going to be some sand around there. Anytime you have grass on a flat, there's going to be some sand around there. And you want to drag that Carolina rig through that, through the grass and sand. Uh, on you follow, you know that... that there are trash piles up there, rock piles, so you you can drag that through. Uh, it's I don't know about using it so much as a search bait, but you, you pretty much know when you when you identify and you know you got to slow down for those fish or do something that everybody else is not doing, you can turn to a Carolina rig. And, and I'll tell you something about a Carolina rig. You can take your nine-year-old daughter out there and tie on a Carolina rig and throw it out, and all she's got to do is drag it back. Yep. And them fish are gonna. Them fish and that's are gonna a pop great it. point because it's a it's a it's a great technique for getting others involved in the sport that you know you don't necessarily have to be able to you know pitch a jig under a dock or something like that that's a little more technical in its presentation but it's a great starting bait. Exactly. Um, talk a little bit about you know the hook set on a Carolina rig because it's it's a little different animal you know per se than if you're fishing a jig or Texas rig or a crankbait. 
You know, that, that bait is, is free, but there's still a weight that's actually on the, on the bottom. That's true. And, and I'll tell you, a lot of times you'll find yourself, when, you, when you're dragging that Carolina rig, you'll find yourself with just some dead weight. And you'll say, oh, you know, I got some grass on the end of it. And when you start to really, you know, kind of tug on that, that Carolina rig, you're going to feel something tug back. And by that <laughs> time, he's, he's got it and gone. Uh, yeah, it, it's, it is a different bite. And you'll feel... You know, some of those fish, you're going to feel that tap. When you've got good connection with that Carolina rig and you can feel everything all the way down to the hook, you, you've got a good feel on it. There's going to be a lot of times that worm's going to be floating up. It might be past your, your weight. So that fish might have it and gone, you know, so you're going to have to really pay attention. Uh, a lot of times I'll see that bait, when I pull through that grass or pull through a trash bed, I'll sit there and hold it in that grass for a moment where I've got tension on it or in that trash pile. And what will happen is that fish will come up there and then pull it, nearby pull it, slam out of your hand. Uh, and it's uh, that's probably one of the best feelings you can ever have. Well, I know one thing. You don't want to have necessarily somebody standing right next to you whenever you set the hook, because that sweeping hook, I've about knocked somebody out of the boat. Oh, no, because, you, you know, I, and I know most people who have fished a, a, a little while on fish Carolina rig, you want to drag that to the side. That way you've got the full range of that jerk, you know, that setting hook power. You can come all the way around with it. Yeah, it's, it's different from like a jig where you're actually setting, if you think of like a clock, setting it from 6 o'clock to 12 o'clock. Exactly. You're, you're actually bringing what I would call a sweep set, mm -hmm. you know, where you're going to the side. And, you know, like you said earlier, if you're using a 7 or 7.5 foot rod, you better hope your boat's long enough or else somebody that's not standing next to you. <laughs> that's right. you got some good seats in the boat, too. <laughs> well, David, I tell you what, it has been truly a pleasure and an enjoyment. But we are simply out of time. We've been joined by David Kirkland uh, from Bainbridge, Georgia. David, thanks so much for being on Aaron, the Aaron, I appreciate you having me. Thank you. All right, David, thanks for some great information on Carolina rigging. Right after this short break, we are going to be back to announce this week's product giveaway, uh, there's a little surprise, so make sure you join us right after this quick break. You've got the truck. You've got the toys. Now it's time to get the hitch that gives you more time to play with both. It's the tow and stow receiver hitch by B&W. You want options? Select the ball size, adjust the height to level the trailer, or stow it out of the way in just seconds. It's 10,000 towing pounds worth of durability, convenience, and the latest technology that has made B&W famous. The Tow and Stow Receiver Hitch by B&W. Call 1-866-BEST-HITCH. Welcome back to The Edge, the official podcast of Bass Edge. Hello and welcome back to The Edge. We have reached that point in our show to announce uh, our weekly product giveaway winner. And um, just to kind of give you guys some heads up, there are some neat things that are coming down the pipeline that you do not want to miss. So if you have yet to enter in, make sure you get your name entered in this week because moving forward, uh, we are going to be giving away some Cook's Tackle Systems, uh, two of Jay McNamara's books, a Skeg Pro, a Keel Guard, a Locker Bar, another B&W Trailer Hitch. So it is definitely worth the small amount of time that it takes to shoot an email. And how you actually enter into this contest is you just simply need to send an email to podcast at BassEdge.com. Again, that is podcast at BassEdge.com. Make sure that you put in the subject line, Attention Product Giveaway. And then also within the body of the email, make sure that you list your name and address so that we know who to send that to uh, whenever you win. This week, I'm going to do something a little bit different. Instead of drawing one because of the overwhelming 
replies that we've had concerning these drawings, we're actually going to draw out two names. And those two individuals are going to receive a set of the Cook's Go-To Tackle System that has uh, just really made my life a lot easier and also the lives of many other individuals the way that those have been uh, going off the shelves. So again, this week's winner goes all the way out, winner number one, to Santee, California, Jeff Carpenter. So congratulations, Jeff. And then also we have another one from Winfield, Missouri. Uh, and in his message, he put, send me some stuff. So Jeffrey Smith, that stuff is now on its way. So guys, thanks uh, for entering. Make sure you sign up again uh, next week to, to re-enter into that. Again, you can enter in as many times as you like, but we only ask that uh, you enter in one time per week. Makes it a little easier on our end. And again, how you do that is by sending an email to podcast at bassedge.com with the subject line product giveaway and make sure that you include your name and address so that we know where to send that to. Okay, right after this short break, we will be right back with one of Bass Edge's very own pro staff members, Dr. Jay McNamara, to talk about his new book, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. Make sure, whatever you do, you come right back because every angler needs to hear this. We'll see you shortly. When I'm fishing in a tournament, time is critical. I need fast, easy access to my lures. My Cook's go-to tackle system keeps my bait organized, tangle-free, and within easy reach. It installs in minutes under any deck lid, maximizing the storage space of my boat. And its durable construction lasts even through the harshest conditions. Get organized with Cook's tackle system by calling 1-888-390-8780 or online at cooksgoto.com. All right, we're back on the edge. Recently, I had the opportunity to catch up with Dr. Jay McNamara in his busy schedule to spend some time talking about his new book, Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. And when you get to a certain level fundamentally, and I can't tell you how many times that we've probably all experienced this, but uh, it's, it's the psychological things that play into and how the mental aspects uh, impact your day of fishing. So without further delay, let's get right to that interview with Jay McNamara. Jay, thanks so much for being here. Oh, it's great to be with you, Aaron. You know, Jay, when I look back and, and think about how you and I first uh, first met, it's a pretty interesting story, but I don't want to for that to overshadow what we're actually here to talk about, which is the new book, uh, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. But, you know, just to, to give a, a little bit of, of background there, you know, was it about three years ago when uh, you and I first made contact and it was pertaining to how uh, the mental aspects affect, um, you know, the, the fishing or throughout your tournament day, if you will. Right. Well, you know, I've been writing that column for the FLW website for several years, Performance Psychology and Tournament Fishing, and you read one of those columns and got a hold of me through the website and uh, uh, we took it from there. Yeah. And now you're, you're part of the Bass Edge television show happy to, to for you to be on the team but you've also came out with uh, with the book the psychology of exceptional fishing well you know I've been uh, in psychology for a long time I got my PhD from the University of Missouri in st. Louis in 1979 and the psychology and the fishing kind of overlapped a lot off and on over the years and as I've gotten into tournament fishing myself it became real obvious in meeting with professional tournament anglers like yourself as well as just regular guys in the water, that the mental side of fishing makes a huge difference, just like it does in other sports. Well, and, you know, when I know you've brought this up before, but if you look at any other uh, sport or professional sport, there's coaches there, and, and those are in place to, you know, for the athletes to be able to rely on, and that's really what, what the role of the book is. Is that not correct? 
Well, I think so. You know, we're at an interesting stage in the history of tournament fishing in that we're really just now getting to the point where we've got one generation of tournament anglers who have been at it long enough that they could actually function in the role of coaches or mentors for younger generation fishermen. Uh, so this is kind of a guide, and it really is a, an interesting stage in the sport. It's a, a new stage. It's still very much in the infancy relative to other sports that have been around for a long time, like football or golf or tennis or baseball that have been around for decades. Um, this is really only the, about the uh, fourth decade of tournament fishing. Well, and, you know, when you look at the sport of fishing, it's very similar to any other sport in that once you develop to a certain level, uh, fundamentally, meaning, you know, the ability to cast and the ability to select baits and all of those different things. There's a huge um, gap, I guess, if you will, of what makes a good fundamental angler versus a great or a true champion who is continually going to be, up, be able to perform with uh, a lot of consistency. Well, you know, that's true, Aaron. It's true in every sport. The difference between good and great is very small. I first heard that in professional fishing from Rick Klon, who's probably put more time and effort into understanding the mental side of fishing than any of the other competitive anglers that I know. But that's the truth. The difference between good and great is very small, but it's made up of a lot of little things. You know, the best colloquial story is in that baseball movie a few years ago, Bull Durham with Kevin Costner, where he talks about the difference between being an also-ran baseball player and hitting 250 and being in the Hall of Fame and hitting 300 is one hit a week, one hit over the course of 25-week season. What does it take to get one more hit a week? And it's the same thing in fishing. One more good fish in any tournament or on any tournament day would make a huge difference for most anglers. Well, and how I translate that into, Jay, and I'm sure all of us have been there, whether it be you know, a lost fish because you weren't in the moment and you weren't paying attention to maybe that, that uh, lay down that you had to get that fish over or that cable, or maybe it translates into making a decision that you need to up and move five minutes sooner so that you've got time to make a few more casts that will ultimately put a fish in the boat. Right, well, you know, um, when I first started fishing tournaments, my mentor, uh, Lowell Brandstrom, said, you know, everybody in this group can catch a fish. It's about making good decisions. And that's true at the club level, at the regional level, and at the pro level. Um, people talk about that, and you hear those stories all over the place that people have very similar skill levels, but it's really about harnessing your mental energies and making good decisions at the right time that separate the great anglers from the good anglers. So specifically in your book, you've really what I believe, I consider it the Bible of fishing, if you will. And I, I mean that very sincerely because what you have effectively done is divided this book up into four segments. And throughout those four segments, you give real practical examples as well as tools that anglers can walk away with and they can do it whether it be at a small level or they can take it to the opposite extreme, dive right into the deep side of the pool, I guess it would be a good example. Talk a little bit about how you know that process works in going through the book. Sure. Well, you know, my background in clinical psychology uh, and my initial fascination with the field came from the assessment side of the business. I started out in reading people's psychological test reports written by psychologists who had never met the individual, and they described this person in great detail. I was just fascinated by how people could do that, how you could know this much about a person on the basis of test results, not ever having met the person. So that's what led me to go to graduate school, and my whole career really is involved in assessment work. And it's like going to an unfamiliar lake. No one in their right mind would go to a, good, a big lake 
uh, an unfamiliar lake and just start fishing without trying to find out some information about the lake, about the conditions, about the circumstances. So starting with a good map, starting with some background information on the lake, trying to get some information off the internet or from tackle shops. It's all good preparation work to try and understand what the lake is about before you tackle it. And the same thing with trying to understand yourself. So that's the, the first section of the book is on do your homework, is to really understand who you are, what your psychological strengths are, what your practical strengths are, what your temperament is like, what your learning style is like, so that you know where to begin. So is this book applicable for, let's say, individuals who don't necessarily want to aspire to be a professional angler? What about if somebody that just loves to, to go out and fish on the weekends and do it more from a recreation standpoint? Well, again, it depends on really what it is that you want to do. Um, I fish mostly with guys who just like to fish for fun. Um, and when we get together and one guy catches them and the other guys don't, the guys who don't catch them often say, what's the difference there? What is it that this guy is doing that I'm not? And if you have even that level of curiosity, some of these dimensions can make a big difference. What about as far as what are some, give us an example of uh, some of the steps. You know, I know uh, in the last segment under special topics, um, you know, you have a whole um, chapter in there on public speaking. You know, how do you see that fitting into the role of, of an angler? Well, you know, that's one example where um, public speaking probably doesn't have much application at all for guys who are just recreational fishermen. But especially for competitive fishermen these days, uh, you have to be able to present yourself in a reasonably persuasive, confident uh, way for your sponsors. You have to be an ambassador for your company. In a sense, you're an on-the-water salesman for your organization. And you have to have decent public speaking skills. You have to use good grammar and syntax. You, have to, you can't stand up there on stage and uh, hem and haw and sound foolish uh, and expect people to pay you money to represent their products. So the, uh, the section on public speaking in the book really is just a very cursory overview, actually as most of the chapters are, because there are lots and lots of books out there and training seminars and, and uh, special programs for people who really want to develop public speaking skills. Still, uh, to be a, com a successful competitive angler in 2007, it's a big deal. Well, and one of the things that I appreciate is because even though I do love this topic and, and I like getting into the intrinsics of, you know, how the mental aspects impact uh, your fishing overall. To those who maybe don't see that as, um, you know, want to dive off uh, and really get into all the technical jargon that goes behind this, one of the things that I thought was unique is how you put examples and I think I forget what you actually call it inside of the book, but it's, it's just in layman's terms, so to speak, so that it will meet the angler at whatever level that they're at. Right. Well, you know, um, there is at the end of each chapter a regular guy tip for people who don't want to do all the complex exercises that are in each chapter. Um, but we do have, you know, after the understand yourself, the do your homework section in the book, there is a section on setting the stage for success that are basic psychology principles that apply to just about any aspect of life. Things like setting goals, um, keeping track, being organized, how to set priorities, how to create uh, plans that will work for you. Um, those are just fundamental uh, learning psychology principles that can apply anywhere. Um, you know, the basic sports psychology 
concepts that we talk about in the third section on action steps, things like relaxation exercises, mental rehearsal, visualization, those are things that have been around in other sports for years. Um, deep breathing exercises, for example, you can turn on uh, any game on the television station this weekend, whether it's football, baseball, basketball, whatever it is, and watch the quarterback, the guy at the free throw line, the pitcher, the hitter, take deep breaths before they swing or before they deliver the play with the ball. And um, the same kinds of principles apply across the board and people see that those things work in other sports. Um, it's easy to see the application in competitive fishing. You know, Jay, uh, real quickly here as, as we have to close down, um, Denny Brower wrote the preface to the book and it was probably, um, you know, I, I can remember when you got that back, you called me and you said it was like, um, you know, getting a, a pat on the back from Willie Mays telling you you had a good, good swing. Talk just, just briefly as we close out about that. Well, you know, I tell this story in the uh, book, uh, Aaron, and uh, um, people can read it there if you want to. But one of the most amazing experiences that I've had fishing was I was practice fishing with Denny Brower on Lewis Smith Lake in Alabama a couple years ago. And we were going down a rock bank fishing jigs. And I thought, well, if I'm going to fish behind Denny Brower, I'm not going to fish exactly the same color he is. So I tied on an obscure brown and something or other colored jig and was pitching along behind him. Uh, and I got a bite and missed it. <laughs> uh, Denny Brower actually noticed the bite, said, yeah, you, you got a bite. My line was moving off. I missed him. I started paying a little bit closer attention. I got a bite a little bit later and uh, got him up next to the boat, reached down to pick him up and lost him. And... Uh, so I had two bites and Denny Brower hadn't had any and I didn't think that was a big deal, but what happened next was really a big deal. Denny Brower <laughs> was one more money tournament fishing than anybody, turned around and walked to the back of the boat and said, let me look at the jig you're using. I thought, what in the name of all creation is Denny Brower doing looking at my jig? And uh, when I got over the shock of that, it hit me. That's why he's ex as successful as he is. He doesn't care who I am. If he wants, if he knows that I've got a bait that the fish want, he wants to know what that bait is. And that open-mindedness, that willingness to learn, that basic interest in getting better no matter what, learning from anybody, uh, that's the kind of thing that makes a guy like Denny Brower uh, famous and successful and able to be persistent and, and successful for as long as he's been at it in his career. Well, and, and that's, that's a great point, Jay. I mean, um, you know, there, there's reasons why champions are champions, and I think you've done a great job of uh, captioning that uh, through the, uh, the book, The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. Where's that available at? Well, you know the good news, Aaron, there's only one place people can get it, and that's at uh, BassEdge.com. So get on the internet, go to BassEdge.com, and under, click under Shop Bass Edge, and there you'll find The Psychology of Exceptional Fishing. Uh, you can order it through uh, PayPal with your credit card, and uh, we'll deliver it right to your door. Well, Jay, thanks so much for taking time out of your busy schedule. Uh, to be a part of the edge. Well, thanks very much for having me, Aaron, and uh, good luck to you in this coming season. All right, the bad news is we are out of time, but the good news is we will be right back next week with another exciting show. I want to thank our guest this week, which was David Kirkland, for his information on the Carolina rig, and also Dr. Jay McNamara for uh, some of the great insights that he has on how the mental aspects of our game impact our fishing promise you that is not the last that we have heard uh, from Dr. McNamara. Next week, exciting lineup as we will have Greg Hackney with us, as well as Adam Heindorf of Megaware Keelguard to talk about the new Skeg Pro that goes on uh, the Skeg 
of your motor to protect that. If you have not had a chance to check us out uh, via the Versus Network, be sure to tune us in on Wednesday mornings at 7.30 a.m. and again on Sunday mornings at 7 a.m. and both of those are Central Standard Time. Also, www.bassedge.com where you can now get access to the Bass Edge Apparel, the DVD sets, um, Jay McNamara's book that we had just spoke about, and it's a great way to stay abreast of all of the things that's happening within the Bass Edge community. So until next week, I am your host, Aaron Martin. Thanks so much for joining us here on The Edge. This week's edition of Bass Edge's The Edge has been brought to you by B&W Trailer Hitches, Cook's Tackle Management Systems, Locker Bar Boat Security Systems, and MegaWare Keel Guard. For more information on Bass Edge, including our television show, training materials, e-newsletter, and podcast, please visit www.bassedge.com.